On this episode of Fantasy NFL Today, we are recapping week two of the NFL. The Zach Wilson hate is uncalled for. The Sam Darnold love is uncalled for. Carson Wentz sucks. Tyrod Taylor can't catch a break. Is the Buffalo offense even that good? And why are we being force-fed Lamar Jackson? We also review the top five picks from Lock It Up. And we wrap up the show with this week's top ads for your waiver wire. All great stuff coming up. You won't want to miss it. And it all starts now. Welcome to Fantasy NFL Today, presented by HoopBall. Today is Tuesday, September 21st. I am your host, Anthony Germain, and you can find me on Twitter at the Talking Sunday handle. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-G, Talking Sunday, all one word. And man, I am angry today. I can't wait for all of these terrible takes in the media by the blue check marks on Twitter to be exposed because everyone has closed the book on rookie quarterback Zach Wilson, and it's insane. I don't understand the Zach Wilson hate at all. It's just a complete overreaction to what is going on, to who they just played. They just played the New England Patriots on Sunday. And what is Bill Belichick's record versus rookie quarterbacks? 22-6. and six. It's pretty good. I mean, what else were we expecting? Did we think Zach Wilson was going to face the New England Patriots defense, a Bill Belichick, very experienced defense, and light them up? Are you crazy? Are you insane? But I, I people just want to bump their chest. They want to bump their chest because they had a hot take. They didn't like Zach Wilson, which isn't even a hot take to begin with. He's from BYU. I think it's very easy to pick on a guy like Zach Wilson. But everybody wants to bump their chest after week two and say, I was right. I was right. Now, pump the brakes. This is just absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand how anybody can confidently slam the book shut. And it's just these tweets from these so-called journalists. It's disgusting. We're two weeks into the regular season, guys. The blue check marks. The journalists. Congratulations. You guys can write really well, but you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to football. And I can't wait to expose the takes. Because if they knew anything about football, they wouldn't be saying something like this already. The talent is there with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson has the tools to succeed as an incredible quarterback at the NFL level. And if you want a hot take, I've already said this before, I think when it's all said and done and the ink has dried, Zach Wilson will have a better overall career than quarterback Trevor Lawrence, which by the way is getting zero heat. Zero. And I want to know why. Is it because he played for Clemson and he's been this, this prodigy since high school? Because both quarterbacks, both Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, both have five interceptions within the first two weeks of the NFL during their rookie campaign. Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is worse. Trevor Lawrence threw three interceptions against the Houston Texans. And I don't hear anybody closing the books on Trevor Lawrence. Houston, The Houston Texans, although have been okay the defense is terrible the defense is awful and if you want to go back to week one Zach Wilson completed 20 passes for 258 yards and two touchdowns one interception in there as well against the Carolina Panthers defense 
that looks like they're pretty good. They just laid the smackdown on the New Orleans Saints in week two. So let's pump the brakes on the Zach Wilson hate. I see the talent. Use your eyes. You can see the release. You can see how fluid he moves. He flicks the ball down the field effortlessly. I guarantee you Zach Wilson, and it might not happen this year, but I guarantee you Zach Wilson is going to be a superstar quarterback in this league. And speaking of the Carolina Panthers, am I living in the upside-down world? Sam Darnold. What is the Sam Darnold love? It's another another thing all these journalists and blue checks want. Oh my God, Sam Darnold left Adam Gase and he's so good now. He's not. And you can't convince me otherwise. You're wrong and time will prove me right. I think there are too many people in this space that are either thriving for clickbait or just flat out wrong and again don't understand football. The knee jerk reactions are out of control. Yeah, Darnold played okay. He didn't lose the game for his team. He has three touchdown passes and one interception in the first two weeks, and now Sam Darnold is the next greatest quarterback. Now, Darnold gets Houston this Thursday night, so I'm sure he'll have another solid outing, and people will say, see, I told you, Sam Darnold looks good. But let's again pump the brakes, and let's see what he does the next three games after that when he has to play the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Minnesota Vikings. All pretty solid defenses there. Let's see what he does going in as we're going into week six or seven. Let's see where he is then. If I'm wrong about Darnold, I'll admit it. That's fine. But I'm pretty confident that Darnold is nothing more than a backup quarterback in the NFL. Speaking of backup quarterbacks in the NFL, Tyrod Taylor on the Houston Texans. Jeez. This guy cannot catch a break, and I feel so bad for Tyrod Taylor. Just can't catch a break. You know, last year he was announced as the Chargers starting quarterback. And then the medical accidental lung puncture takes him out. Insert Justin Herbert and bang, there goes his job. So now as the starting quarterback for Houston, he he catches a little bit of a break when uh, Deshaun Watson has his off the field issues and he's thrusted into that starting role. Catches a little bit of a break there. But now we're in week two. They're off to a surprising, somewhat of a fast start. You know, everybody thought the Texans were going to be the dumpster fire of the NFL, and that's clearly not the case. You know, he's got three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, and then goes down with the hamstring injury. I mean, this guy cannot catch a break. He has one of the worst bad luck strings I've ever seen in the NFL, and it wouldn't surprise me if this guy Davis Mills, who's only played like eight college games in his career, this guy Davis Mills goes out and just tears it up. It wouldn't surprise me at all just because of the bad luck that Tyrod Taylor faces. So this Thursday night game has gotten a lot more interesting for me. Uh, I can't wait to see it. For one, I I want to see Sam Darnold have a meltdown, which he probably won't, but I'd love to see that. And then two, we can continue to see this storyline of Tyrod Taylor being replaced by starting quarterback talent. And I'll tell you who is not a starting quarterback talent in this league. Because 2017 was a complete fluke for quarterback Carson Wentz. This guy is bad. And it is like comically bad. And it's hilarious at this point. I mean, I watched some of this game, the Colts versus the Rams. And I know the Rams have a stellar defense. But on first and goal from the one, the Colts can't punch it in on that goal line. Aaron Donald is just a beast. He's getting a huge push. I think they stopped him the first two runs. But then when it was fourth and goal, the fourth and goal attempt... From the one, 
that play Carson Wentz, you know, just ran out there is it is a nutshell in himself. Like that perfectly that play just describes Carson Wentz perfectly. You know, he just holds that ball forever. He backs up, backs up, backs up, runs around like a duck. He's getting yanked all over the place. And, you know, usually it turns into a fumble where he just chucks it up there. Who knows if it gets picked. He just always is making bad, bad decisions. So they don't get that touchdown. They don't get any points, actually. They turn the ball over on downs. And then later on in the game, the bad decisions that I was just talking about, he does. On third and goal in the second quarter, he does a shuffle pass to no one. And it's completely intercepted on the goal. This is what this guy does. He is not a starting caliber quarterback. I don't know what happened in 2017. I don't know if he was possessed by God, possessed by aliens, possessed by whatever. It doesn't make any sense how he played that well because this guy can't play in the NFL. And he, just like Sam Darnold, is nothing but a good... I don't even know if he's a good backup at this point, but he's a backup quarterback. And I don't ever want to laugh at injuries. I don't ever want to laugh at injuries, but I find it so funny, like due to his checkered past with how injury prone he is, he didn't just sprain one ankle. He sprained both ankles. How do you sprain both ankles in one game? This guy is just like, you can't write characters like this. This is him. It's just such a Carson Wentz thing. Another thing I noticed on Sunday Buffalo's offense does not look good. On the other hand, the defense looks really good. The defense looks stout. The defense shut out the Miami Dolphins. But that Buffalo offense, I'm a little concerned about. I think that the final score, was it 35-0, something like that, is a very misleading box score versus what actually happened in the game. You know, you look at that box score, 35-0. Oh, my God, Buffalo. Look how good they are. Woo! Look how good Buffalo is. 35-0. But I'm telling you, that box score does not reflect what happened. You know, they scored those first two touchdowns pretty early. Devin Singletary broke off that big run in the very beginning, put them up 7-0, and then Josh Allen extends that third and goal play, 14-0, bang. Tua gets knocked out of the game. Jacoby Brissett sucks. Let's not forget when he was on the New England Patriots, this guy was the third string, backup quarterback, third stringer. It went Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, third string, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett got his shot in Indianapolis. Didn't work out. He's t- he's terrible. He can't move. Doesn't have a big arm. Not good. So Brissett naturally throws the pick. And then the Bills offense doesn't score again until the third quarter. They stalled out. You know, they, they ended up winning the game and getting it together down the road. But, I mean, when Miami can't do anything on offense because of Brissett, the defense starts to get tired. And we know Miami has a pretty good defense. So Buffalo might be a team... I'm looking to fade when we start getting into the betting market this week, next couple weeks, because I'm telling you that offense is not as good as it was last year, and I didn't like what I saw. I know the box score says 35 nothing. I know it, but I'm telling you right now, go back and watch that game. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not all roses and butterflies out there. So, another thing I wanted to discuss. Over the weekend, the Chiefs and the Ravens game, crazy game, awesome game, high scoring, everybody loves that. I just want to know, why are we forced to love Lamar Jackson? We are force-fed Lamar Jackson. And you guys know me, I love race car Lamar for fantasy football because he's he's that running quarterback, he's going to get us a thousand yards. Love Lamar Jackson. 
But why are we being force-fed to accept Lamar Jackson as the superhero quarterback in the NFL? Like, he still, like, as a quarterback, he still can't throw outside the numbers. I watched the game. I watched him miss a lot of throws he needed to make during the game. Like, my eyes are telling me that he's, as a quarterback, he is not a good, pure quarterback. He's a great runner. He's a great playmaker. You know, he'll win you games. I'm not really knocking him for being a bad quarterback. He's just not like, I'd rather watch somebody like a Patrick Mahomes who can do it all. Russell Wilson who can do it all. Those guys are great quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson is just a great uh, playmaker. Just phenomenal. He can, he can score at any time during the game, and I get it. But if he can't make those big throws... That's going to continue to be his kryptonite when he gets to the playoffs. Can he ever get over the hump? Can he get to a Super Bowl? Can he win the Super Bowl? And I don't care what anybody says. The NFL has this weird obsession with making Lamar the face of the league, and it's sickening to see how far they'll go. It's just weird. When he has bad games or misses big-time throws that he should have made, the media defends him. Oh, he's not... uh, Defend, defend, defend. When he has good games... Not even great games, just good games. He's the best quarterback to ever do it. And how wasn't that cartwheel into the end zone a taunt? That's exactly the definition of a taunt. A cartwheel into the end zone? But anyway, it's just it's just ridiculous the way the rules are bent for the Ravens and for Lamar Jackson. Last year was a perfect example with the COVID. On Thanksgiving, the Ravens were supposed to play the Steelers during prime time, but the game was postponed, I think, for two days at first or three days at first. But it ended up being postponed 11 days because the NFL wants the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson in the playoffs because they didn't do the same thing for the Denver Broncos last year. No, the Denver Broncos were forced to play with zero quarterbacks that same week. They had to call somebody up from the practice squad that hasn't played quarterback since his college days years ago. And I think he's on the practice squad as a wide receiver. I don't even remember the guy's name. It's just ridiculous. It's so obvious what the NFL is doing. They love Lamar Jackson. They love the Ravens. And it just goes to show you that it's all about one thing and one thing only. Ratings. All right. So that's enough ranting about what I noticed this weekend. Um, Let's talk about the top five. The top five picks, the lock it up picks. Started off the day pretty good. The lock of the week wins. The Las Vegas Raiders, Pittsburgh Steelers, under 47 and a half comes in and cashes. We start off those first 1 p.m. games with a nice two and one start, only to be crushed later on in the afternoon, going zero and two, which you know, puts the picks at two and three, not a great start for us here on lock it up or at fantasy NFL today. I think that brings our overall record to three and seven, but I'm really excited about it. And I'm going to tell you why in a second, but let's just go through these real quick. The under my lock of the week, the pick of the week under 47 and man, these Raiders, I'm telling you, they are legit. It's not a week one or week two overreaction, knee-jerk reaction here. They're strong in the trenches up front on offense and up front on defense. And that is the formula. That is the recipe you want for a good football team. And I didn't want to go against the boss. The boss had the Steelers minus five and a half. But as we got closer and closer to kickoff, I listened to more media. I listened to more TV. Every single person in the media was talking about how the Raiders were coming off that emotional win. And it started to scare me. 
it started to scare me because everyone is on to that trend now. And I think it was built in that six, the five and a half, six, six and a half was too high. It was too high of a spread. It was built that that game should have probably been Steelers minus three and a half, four, four and a half at the most. But the six and a half, I think it really built it in on the short week, emotional win, traveling west to east. Every single person was talking about it. I left it on the table. The the Las Vegas Raiders left that one on the table. I'm pretty pissed about. But, you know, I didn't want to go against the boss. The boss is the boss. But nonetheless, the under comes through. I was happy about that. I knew that Steelers defense was legit. And after from what I saw from week one with the Raiders defense against Lamar Jackson and keeping them in check. And again, it's not an overreaction because if the, if the defensive line gets pressure, if that front seven gets pressure, that is always a great sign for a defense. And also, Gus Bradley has always been a good defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks with the Legion of Boom. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the year they went to that Super Bowl when they had Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, Miles Jack, all these like defensive studs, and they almost went to the Super Bowl. He was the defensive coordinator. He helped turn around the Los Angeles Chargers defense, Joey Bosa with Melvin Ingram. I know he's not there anymore, but James uh, Derwin, Derwin James on the back end. They really turned that defense around and became somewhat of a force. So I really like Gus Bradley, and actually Gus Bradley's history versus the Steelers. That year, the Jacksonville Jaguars almost went to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles when they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Gus Bradley beat the Steelers, who had Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell on that team, beat the Steelers in the regular season with that Jaguars defense, and then beat the Steelers again in the AFC Divisional Round. Yeah, we missed this one. We missed this one, but I'm glad, again, the under hit. Uh, Broncos minus six is another one that cashes for us. That was the boss's best pick of the week. The more digging I went into it, I liked that one a lot. And it, you know, paid off. That one seemed easy, and, you know, sometimes the easy ones win. Uh, I was a little hesitant because it seemed like it was almost teaser protected. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when a favorite sits around six points, the Broncos were minus six. Seahawks were minus six. Perfect example. One we lost. A lot of times what people will do is they take a teaser and a normal teaser is a six point teaser. You can add points to the score. So if I took, if I tease the Broncos minus six, I suddenly get the Broncos at a pick and it seems easy. Like the Seahawks tease the Seahawks down from six to a pick, but you have to take another team though. That's the kicker. So you can't just tease it. And that's that you have to tease, you know, Seahawks minus six. With Broncos minus six, you have to at least do two teams. So if you did that, you would have lost your teaser because the Seahawks ended up losing the game outright. But what I'm my point of the Broncos, anytime I see the minus six, I always am a little skeptical because the books know a lot of people love teasers. So they're kind of luring you in to do that. You know, Broncos minus six. Oh my God, I just need the Broncos to win the game. That seems super easy. Deal. Click it in. Done. And a lot of times, like you'll see with the Seahawks minus six, it loses. So, but that, you know, Broncos ends up winning. The Eagles. Oh, man, I have to eat some crow for these Eagles. But you know what? I'm not going to because the Eagles beat themselves, if we're being honest with ourselves. They beat themselves. They should have beat the Niners outright. My read was right. It just didn't work out on the field. I'm telling you, everything I was saying about this game was absolutely correct. The Eagles defense held the Niners to only 17 points. But the Eagles just beat themselves on offense. Jalen Rager absolutely sucks. You know, he had that big touchdown called back because he stepped out of bounds, running down the sideline, 
you know, came back in and then catches the touchdown. But this guy, he can't run routes. It's clear. He doesn't know where he is. He's not aware of where he is on the field. Therefore, touchdown called back. So that's seven points right there. Then after that, they get the blocked field goal. The field goal is blocked. No points right there either. Then later on in the game, Jalen Hurts hits Quez Watkins from the end zone for 91 yards. And the team has no game plan once they get into that red, red zone down there. I think they were on the four or five yard line. Nothing. They had no plan at all. They went for it on fourth down. They tried to do another version of the Philly special and it failed miserably. Again, that's another seven points right there that should have been on the board. Just bad game planning by the rookie head coach, Nick Sirianni. Bad. It's just a rookie head coach. I mean, this is what you're going to get when you have rookie head coaches, you know, new quarterback, new system, all of that stuff put into place. You're going to have games like this. And that's something we have to keep in mind when we're taking games like this. The Eagles had ample opportunities to beat the Niners outright and just squandered every single opportunity they had. I already talked about our Seahawks minus six, that loss too. They freaking suck. I'm so mad at the Seattle Seahawks. They had a 14-point lead with 12 minutes to go, squandered it, went to overtime, lost the coin toss. I think they still had a shot or somebody turned the ball over. I don't know, but Tennessee ended up, ended up kicking the field goal. Game over. The Chargers minus three was the cherry on the top. Ugh, man. This one was just brutal, too. Like, this this one was the definition of a frustrating loss with these Chargers. The amount of touchdowns that were also called back in this game, the amount of penalties the referees called on the Chargers, it was just one of the most frustrating games to follow, and it was just not good for my blood pressure. But, hey, so goes the business. Again, we don't live in the coulda, woulda, shoulda world. We finish with a two and three week for the top five, bringing the overall record to three and seven. So not great, but I'm telling you right now, listeners, the dam is about to burst. The book can only contain the waters for so long. I'm telling you it's about to burst. I have the leaks. The leaks are bursting. And it's about to go boom. And hopefully, if you've been following the picks, you've been keeping your units low. Your money management early on is key. I know we hit on this the last two weeks, but I have to say it again. Because now that we're three and seven, the winner should start to flow in. Again, the dam is about to burst. And because we're three and seven, we're going to start upping the units. It's not chasing. It's worth three and seven. We did a 10-game sample, and we only won three games. So it should start to flip now. It should go seven and three-ish, six and four-ish. It's not chasing. We're not getting heated. We're not trying to gain back the money. It's what we're looking at. The tide always turns. It always comes back. It always balances out and evens itself. So we're going to up the units these next two weeks. I'm thinking weeks three and four, we double our units. So if you've been betting one unit, we're going to do two units on these next games. The three and seven isn't sustainable. And now we're in a position where the fortune should start to turn. And yes, we are doubling the units because like we keep saying on here, scared money doesn't make money. And this is exactly the scared money part where a lot of players will run and hide or quit or start to even lower their bets. Just to do a quick mathematical scenario here. If your base bet, your one unit bet, let's just make it easy for fun math wise $10. So your base one unit bet is $10 and we've gone three and seven. 
you'd be down $47 with the juice. Yeah. 30 so you you would have won 30 from the the three wins and then you would have lost 77 because there's usually 10% juice or rig on each bet you, that you lose. So you would be down $47 and a lot of scared players at this point will either pay up and sit out a few weeks or quit altogether. And again, that's when the bookie wins because he took your money and now you quit. Or if you sit out for a few weeks and you're not betting the same strategy, when you come back in, you might be on the cycle again where you lose again. And then the other problem is a lot of people might lower their bets because they're scared. And again, we went three and seven. So if we go seven and three over these next two weeks, and instead of betting your $10, you're now betting $5, you're playing scared and you're not getting it back. So when you go seven and three with those $5, and you're, oh man, we're winning, we're winning. I'm going to start betting bigger. And you're going to hit the cold streak again. And you're going to lose. So it's important. What I'm saying again is that the three and seven is actually a, a, a there's it's a silver lining here. We're actually in the prime position for the winning streak. And I'm really excited about it. You can see it coming. The writing is on the wall. But listen, I'm not advocating for anybody to bet. Again, the 10 unit example was just that. It was just an example for mathematical purposes. This is just my previous experience to, you know, when it comes to betting after doing this for all this years, but bet responsibly and only bet what you can afford to lose. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. On to the goods, the goods, 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 the fantasy world. Who are we adding this week? Who are we adding? Let's just get through it. I got some quarterbacks. I got some running backs and I got some wide receivers. Some quarterbacks to add, Daniel Jones. This one is crazy because he is Daniel Jones and the Giants are bad. But Daniel Jones finished as the QB4 in week two against the Washington football defense that is, you know, we think is still good, but who knows at this point. I mean, they they really haven't done much in these first two weeks. But I always forget that Daniel Jones has sneaky, sneaky wheels. He's got legs. He can run. He got 95 rushing yards on that Thursday night game and a rushing touchdown. And again, just like Lamar Jackson, just like any other running quarterback, we want the dual running quarterback in our fantasy lineups because those rushing yards are crucial to our points. And guess what? They get the Atlanta Falcons this weekend. It's probably the easiest defense that they face so far this year. You know, they went against the Denver Broncos, the Washington football team. Now they get the Atlanta Falcons. Daniel Jones should have a little more time. He should be able to run a lot easier. And I'm just going to throw this in here too for all you Saquon investors. This is Saquon's week. I hope you're not trading him. Hold on to him. If you plan on trading him, let him do what he can against Atlanta first. Because if anything... We should see him have a good game against Atlanta. And then we'll look at the schedule after that. If it's hard, maybe we start looking at trading Saquon. But for now, keep him because he's going to have a big game in Atlanta. Another quarterback I like is Justin Fields. Uh, we talked about him during the summer as well. He's a dual threat quarterback. Andy Dalton goes down with the injury. He may miss some time, but it's inevitable that Fields will eventually take over anyways. So if Fields is still floating around on your waiver wire and you're more of a streamer. You're picking up quarterbacks every week. Let's get Justin Fields and stash him. You know, he didn't have a great showing on Sunday when he went in. He completed six passes for 60 yards and he threw an interception, no touchdowns. But again, it's a dual threat that makes him very valuable. And, you know, we might see this Bears offense start to elevate, you know, once they start getting Fields in there on a more consistent basis. So I like Fields. 
My favorite quarterback, I think, to pick up at this point in the in the game is Derek Carr. Man, I was a big Derek Carr guy this summer as a safe quarterback, as a safe quarterback options for those of you that do like to wait on your quarterbacks. But man, I was not expecting this. Through two games against the Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers, he has over 800 passing yards and four touchdowns. Those are no slouch defenses. And the Steelers was on the road, by the way. Just absolutely killing it. And he's dropping dimes out there. Dimes. Absolute accurate dimes. I love Derek Carr to continue this. And I, like I said on the Lock It Up segment, there is something in the air for the Las Vegas Raiders. It's magical. There's this aura floating around. You can feel it. They might actually be one of those teams that is primed to make a deep run. They are. I like they, they this I felt this way about the Buffalo Bills by week two last week last year. I felt this way about I always I always get this feeling in the beginning of the season within the first two weeks. Like wh- who's the magical team? And for me right now, it's the it's the Las Vegas Raiders. And I still think the Philadelphia Eagles can do it. But the Philadelphia Eagles lost two big players on Sunday with uh, defensive end Brandon Graham going down for a season-ending Achilles injury. And then we're, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles also lost the guard, one of the best guards in the league. Um, what's his name? 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 Brandon Brooks. They lost Brandon Brooks and Derek Barnett. Brandon Brooks should be back in a couple weeks, maybe like a month. Uh, but... You know, that kind of puts a damper on things. And the Eagles have a tough schedule. So the Las Vegas Raiders, whew, I can feel that magic. I can feel that aura. Another quarterback to look at. Very boring pick here, but Teddy Bridgewater. He was one of my recommended starts for the week last week. And he threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns against those sloppy, sloppy Jaguars. But Teddy Bridgewater, again, super boring. He has provided the stability for that Denver Broncos offense. Look what he elevated Cortland Sutton to this last weekend against a bad defense. You know, they played the Giants in week one. Giants have a little bit of a tough defense, but we see some more stability here out of Teddy Bridgewater. He's a little more reliable. And Teddy Bridgewater, if you're looking to stream somebody, is another great quarterback to stream here as he faces the New York Jets this weekend. So Teddy Bridgewater is a good option. As far as running backs go, Peyton Barber. Now, Peyton Barber is a good pickup for the temporary. Temporary good pickup if you're desperate. Another boring pick, but he is the starting running back for the Raiders. And he had a very tough task against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. You know, he's only able to muster 32 rushing yards, but he still saw 13 carries in that game. And Kenyon Drake, my man. Again, the only reason I love Kenyon Drake is because of where he was going in drafts this year. His ADP was super low. I never, ever, ever thought he was a bad running back, but in the years before, he was going in round two. Round two is insane, but like round eight or nine is great, and he still outperformed all the backs in all-purpose yards this last weekend against the Steelers. But as long as Josh Jacobs is out again, Peyton Barber fills in that role. Peyton Barber fills in the Josh Jacob roles. Kenyon Drake will forever keep the Kenyon Drake role. So if Peyton Barber were to go down again, the Raiders are going to go out and find another running back to fill in that specific role. So as of right now, Peyton Barber is a great pickup and he has a nice matchup against the Miami Dolphins this week, who we just saw got gashed by the Buffalo Bills for a total of 143 rushing yards. Now, I don't think Peyton Barber is going to get anywhere close to that, but like I keep saying, he is just a good temporary pickup if you're desperate. If you have somebody like Ronald Jones, like me, who just completely sucks, 
who has just completely been taken over by Leonard Fournette, who uh, it's just frustrating. You're going to want to pick up somebody like Peyton Barber in the meantime. I know Barber is boring. I know in my heart he's probably only going to get 60 rushing yards, but you're just kind of hoping he gets a score in there. And again, the running back well is dry. This is why I preached all summer long the robust running back draft strategy. It is hard to find replacements for the running back position. We Look at all the wide receivers we could pick up on the waiver wire right now. Rondell Moore, Sterling Shepard, all these guys that are like performing week in and week out. But it is so hard to get a consistent running back. Look at last week's top waiver wire pick, Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, he's the starter, but like... <laughs> He didn't do anything. He got, what, 60, 40 yards? It was, I don't even know what the final stat was, but it wasn't good. And hopefully, you know, he can outperform that this week, but I don't know. We'll see. It's just, it's just really hard to find those running backs. Another running back, he's probably not available in your leagues, but running back Alexander Madison, I think Dalvin Cook was banged up like two or three times in that game already, so we're already starting to see the injuries pile on Dalvin. I can probably guarantee you he's going to miss at least a handful of games. So if by some chance Alexander Madison is floating around, go out and pick him up because if he ends up starting for the few games that Dalvin Cook is going to miss, he's almost a lock to give your team at least 10 points as a floor. So it's definitely worth the investment. Another running back to pick up and even a wide receiver, I should say for that matter, is Cordell Patterson. I mean, maybe we thought his usage in week one was a fluke against the Eagles, but Week two has completely proved us wrong. I think he received seven carries as a running back, which was only two less than starter Mike Davis, who completely has flopped. And we, you know, we were not on Mike Davis at all, all summer long. Mike Davis is one of those classic guys that pops up, you know, the year before, and then people overdraft the next year and he flops. Kenyon Drake, perfect, perfect example. Kenyon Drake last year was going to the second round. Mike Davis, I don't think he went in the second round. I think he went in like the fourth, but still. Oh, he's the starter. He sucks. So Cordell Patterson gets only two less carries than Mike Davis, and he scores on one of those carries. He scores as a running back, but then Cordell Patterson also tacked on five catches for 58 yards and another touchdown through the air. So he had a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. So he had seven carries, five catches. What is that? Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 touches, which is pretty good. So his usage in this offense is too high to, to just be floating around on waivers. So go add Patterson as a flex, solid flex, um, if you're thin at any of the skill positions as the Falcons draw the New York Giants next week. So not a bad matchup there. Running back Tony Pollard, if he's still available. And man, uh, this one hurts. This one hurts a little. And I still think everyone needs to pump the brakes on Zeke. People are ready to write Zeke off because Pollard had this big game. But Zeke was just three yards short of 100 all-purpose yards. And that's getting lost in all of this. This is what we discussed over the summer when talking about our top running backs. It was consistency. And Zeke is one of the more consistent running backs in the league. When he's healthy, when he's not suspended, you know, when he's on the field and they're feeding him, he's been one of the most consistent running backs in the league. I think we said he rushed, he averaged about 1,400 rushing yards per season while he's healthy or not suspended. The problem now is they're giving Tony Pollard a lot more volume than anticipated. And I'm going to be honest. Tony Pollard looks faster, quicker, and more explosive. I mean, last week he finished as the RB5 overall in week two. RB5. It's just frustrating because I've heard all offseason how 
you know, Zeke's in the best shape of his life and he's cut. He's not fat. He's, you know, he's, he's got the six pack going on again. And I don't know what the hell is going on. And I'm very surprised with, you know, the money that Dallas is paying Zeke that he's not getting the ball all the time because Pollard got 16, 16 touches, 140 all purpose yards and a touchdown against the chargers. That's pretty convincing. And I have to say like, now we have to go out and add Pollard. We have to, we have to adjust here. So if he's available, go out and add Pollard. You know, we can probably fire up Pollard as a nice flex option at this point. We're looking at him like the Naheem Hines role in, in Indy, like last year, to the uh, Jonathan Taylor. So Pollard becomes this Naheem Hines where he, you know, he might end up getting 10 plus points a week and makes for a real solid flex option week in and week out. So, so let's get Pollard if we can. Another running back, which also kind of breaks my heart here, Sonny Michelle. Daryl Henderson is said to have a rib cartilage injury, but it seems like he still might play on Sunday when the Rams take on the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if Henderson can't go, Sonny Michelle becomes the guy, and we should see the same sort of volume that we were seeing with Henderson with Michelle, which you know is pretty massive. It's He's going to get a lot of carries. The only problem I see this week is the matchup, though. No one can seem to run on Vita Vea and this Bucks front seven. The Buccaneers have been stout against the run for years. So it's a, it's a tough start either way if you have Henderson or you pick up Sonny Michelle. But what scares me is because Henderson is already banged up that as we go forward, we're going to see a more even split. We're going to see an even split between Michelle and Henderson for the near, you know, for the near future here. So that kind of sucks because I also have Henderson in a few leagues. But if Sonny Michelle is floating out there, go out and pick him up. James White on the New England Patriots is another option. He had 65 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. And he, kind of like Kenyon Drake, his role is never going to change. He's the pass-catching back. He's kind of like the Naheem Hines role for the New England Patriots. So even if Damian Harris were to go down, we'd probably see Ramondre Stevenson you know, step into that starting role. But James White is another solid option out there on waivers to go out and get for his role. Michael Carter and Ty Johnson are also... Uh, picking up a little bit of steam here. They both combined for 22 touches and 109 yards. That's combined, not not each, not separate. But, you know, between the two of them. So it's really like a battle right now. Who, Which running back can outduel who? Tevin Coleman seems to be pushed to the, you know, to the back here. He's kind of fading out. And we knew this was going to happen anyway. So I just, when I watched Ty Johnson, I think he had one angry, monstrous run over this last Sunday. And that's what I like to see. I like to see the tenacity from Ty Johnson. So... Kind of hoping Ty Johnson takes over that backfield. I like Ty Johnson a little bit more than Michael Carter. But, you know, Michael Carter's the rookie. He's the young buck that has a lot to prove. So, you know, either one. Again, we're taking shots here at this point. These are the guys we're stashing on our bench as we continue to get deeper and deeper into the season. I don't know what the hell is going on with the San Francisco 49ers. I think Elijah Mitchell's a little banged up. Jermichael Hastie Hasty is now out for the season. And they just signed some guy named Trenton Cannon. Look into it as much as you can, because as of right now, I'm recording. I don't really know much about him, but if he ends up taking snaps from Elijah Mitchell, you know, who knows? He could turn in. He could start. We don't know what Kyle Shanahan's ever going to do. I recommend it. We bench the San Francisco 49er running backs last weekend, and it sounded crazy because they had a fantastic matchup against the Eagles, but it ended up being right because even though Elijah Mitchell got the carries, he didn't get many yards, and every other running back on that team was not great either, so... Some wide receivers we're looking at. Sterling Shepard, again, I recommend it. You start him last week. He finished week two with nine catches and 94 yards. You know, he's been hurt over the last few seasons, and now that he's fully healthy, he looks strong. He looks like 
you know, 1B on that team to Kenny Galladay being 1A. And, like, Sterling Shepard is, is produced now week one and week two. A good ad. Uh, Rondell Moore on the Arizona Cardinals had seven catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. And he was a very popular rookie sleeper coming into the season. I'm intrigued. But the problem is we really don't know who is going to be that wide receiver two week in and week out on a consistent basis for the Cardinals. A.J. Green had a solid game in week one. Christian Kirk had a blow-up game in week one. And now we saw Rondell Moore have the blow-up game in week two. So what we do know is DeAndre Hopkins is the wide receiver one. And what we don't know is which of these three wide receivers is going to produce each week on a consistent basis. A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore. But I do like the potential of Rondell Moore than the other two. You know, Christian Kirk's been in the league for five years. A.J. Green is older than your grandma. And Rondell Moore is in the prime position to exploit all of this. So Rondell Moore is an interesting ad for sure. If you're going to add him, I would just stash him. Again, just stash him and wait and see. Um, somebody I think we can ignore still is Henry Ruggs. I know his targets have gone up a bit. You know, he had seven targets, five catches, 113 yards, and one touchdown here. And I love Derek Carr. I'm just still not sold on the consistency. He's one of the shorter guys. He still films, feels boom or busty to me. Darren Waller is going to be the number one target there. They're still going to try to run the ball a lot for the Las Vegas Raiders. Brian Edwards seems to be stepping up a bit. They still really like Hunter Renfro, who's more consistent than Henry Ruggs. He might not get the yards or score as much as Henry Ruggs, but they really rely on Hunter Renfro to get those crucial third downs to, to move the chains consistently for them. Hunter Renfro is a great football player, not so much fantasy player, but this is the problem. These are some of the problems I see with Henry Ruggs. All right. Well, that's our show for today. I hope everybody is sharp on the waiver wire. Don't miss your guys. If you're in a fab uh, free agent acquisition budget league, don't be shy with your fab here in week two. If you really want somebody, go out and spend the money. If you're in a continuous rolling league, that is outdated now. But, you know, I hope everybody gets their guys. Some of the guys we just talked about here on the ads, you know, these guys can really help you win going into the next week. So with that, be aggressive, be fearless, go out, dominate your leagues, leave your opponents in the dust. And we will see you back here on Thursday for the Thursday night game between the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers. We'll talk to you then. Thank you.